Good. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, everybody. Seven o'clock, and welcome to New Freedom. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. We start every session of Position of Neutrality with a prayer, and everybody try and contain yourself. Chaplain Lee is back in the house. Come on. Come on and stand to your feet all over this building. It's a blessing to be back. And we welcome everyone that's here tonight. Father, we thank you. We welcome you, first of all, because there is none like you. You've done so much. And we just give it all to you. So tonight, we ask you, Father, to come into this place, wreck this place. Open up the ears of these that are here to hear what this has to be said from the throne room through your man servant on tonight. We ask you, Lord, that you would just have your way throughout this place, move throughout the aisles, touch the hearts, soften the hearts, and forever we will continually give you the praise. We thank you for releasing your spirit in this place, and we give you all the glory and honor in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone say, amen. Amen. Thank you, chap. Um, you may notice this television screen announcing a March 10th concert. It's a benefit concert for our men and women that come here from prison. Often they don't have clothes, hygiene, things like that. Um, anyway, Ryan Stevenson is going to come and play a concert on March 10th. And um, any of you that follow any of that music, he's, he's a good one to hear. It'll be intimate. If you want to come a little early, you can hang out with him. Um, but anyway, there's information about it there. What else was I supposed to tell them tonight? Who remembers? Got a baptism coming up, chap, yes? 24th. The 24th of February. So if any of you have never been to a new freedom baptism, um, it's pretty inspirational regardless of your faith, just to see people professing their faith. We do it in the atrium pool under the waterfall. And it's, I don't know, we generally go through a few of them, huh? So um, I think, I think that may be all I have to do. How many in the room for the first time tonight? Oh, good, a bunch of so First of all, welcome, and second, let us warn you in advance, you'll be able to perceive us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years now, we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? It yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yeah? yeah? So what I attempt to do is show you how I find my experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with the book. And I'll warn you in advance, it may look like I'm telling you what the book says, but that is not what I'm trying to do. Make sense? It's none of my business what the book says to you. But because this is their testimony and it's a book of experience, what I want to do if I want what they promise is I want to find my experience in it. Yes? How many of you have been in recovery for some period of time? In and out, whatever. How many of you have heard at every AA meeting they read, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path? Did you ever get baffled by how often you saw people seemingly fail? Say, <laughs> like, wow, what am I missing, right? 
So we're trying to bring us back to that. Let's, let's stick with their testimony because if we all just go off on our own, we may come up with very different results, yes? So tonight we're gonna to take a look at the instructions for step four. And we're gonna start on the bottom of page 63. The authors again are sharing an experience. So they say, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action. So who's the we in that sentence? The first 100. And they're describing their launching. How many of you would describe your first effort at a four-step inventory as something less than a launching? So they've had this encounter in two, this tangible encounter with power, power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing into them. Their ideas were rearranged about what people were talking about when they used the word God, right? Because around here when we say God, you say power, because we're, taught, we're taught, calling our attention to the experience of power, not some theology or some harm we perceive has been done to us in the past, yeah? So by this time, they've made a decision to talk to that power and help them go inward fearlessly and get armed with the facts about themselves. So they were anxious to do that by this time. If you aren't anxious to do this by this time, we need to talk to you about the encounter, don't we? Make sense? Okay. And then it says, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. How many of you suspected when you were in your active addiction that whatever it was you were addicted to wasn't really the main problem? that in fact it often was a solution. I had a problem with other people's ideas and attitudes about my use, but I needed to be anesthetized to live in the world as I was. Many of you? So, if that was only a symptom, then let's try one more thing. How many of you got clean, sobered up, and then return to it. So that wouldn't happen if that was the only problem, would it? So now it makes sense. Well, we better get down to causes and conditions. Somebody just cranked that mic up. What happened? <laughs> you playing with the board or what's going on? Okay, it scared me and it was my voice. So, therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It's an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. Sorry I read so much, but I have to read the whole paragraph and then go back and deconstruct it so that it all makes sense, right? So we tend to get lost in their rhetoric, but we need to go back now and see what exactly the same thing with their lives looks like. Does that make sense? 
So they said that they had to take this fact-finding and fact-facing process, this personal inventory, in order to get to discover the truth about the stock and trade. What's the stock and trade in my personal inventory? Yeah, me, as I present myself to the world. <coughs> Any of you had an intent to be better than you presented? <laughs> Pretty much all of us, right? So there's something wrong. It wasn't that I didn't have an intent, but I lacked power. Yes? Then it says, one object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. They said that was one object. Sometimes we focus on the trash and we don't focus on the treasure. They wouldn't have told me there was one object if they didn't expect me to find something better than damaged or unsaleable goods. Where'd they tell me the power was found? And how'd they say we found it? Sometimes we had to search fearlessly. They went on to say, we found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it's only there that he may be found. It was so with us. So this isn't a crap hunt, folks. This is a treasure hunt. Dig till you find the great reality, the truth. Not my truth, not your truth, the truth. And when I take those facts about me to the truth within me, then an incurable malady is overcome. Does that make sense? Some of you are feeling that. Who's feeling that? So that's the power we call God. That's happening in you. Okay. So then it says, we did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. So it's, it's logical that we focus on the flaws, but we're just trying to get the flaws out of the way so we can get down to the treasure and start fanning those flames. Yes? yes. It said, being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestation. So what do they mean by self manifesting in various ways? Yeah, any of you ever pretend to be something that you weren't just to fit into a crowd that you thought you wanted to fit into and then realized maybe I don't want to fit into this crowd or maybe how many of you became something for somebody so they would like you and they still didn't like you. So when that happens, my fear that you won't like me just as I am drives me to manifest a self that I think you will like. Right. Or whatever. I, I also had the opposite effect. If I knew I was about to screw up a relationship, I would create a stir so that I wouldn't have to have a breakup. They'd just leave, make it easy on me. Any of you ever done any of that? There you go. <laughs> That's a self-manifesting. It did not show my true intent. It showed my fear. But I didn't know that till I did this. Okay. So it says resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. So let's, what is it they're talking about? Resentment. resentment. We got to be careful with that because we joke about resentments, don't we? Sometimes in our fellowships. But if it's the number one offender and it destroys more of us than anything else, we should probably take the lead and take it a little more seriously in a loving way to help people unpack. Yes? It says, from it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we've not only been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. How many of you have had that experience? Mm 
All you had to do was be out there seeking doctors to help you medicate whatever condition you could convince them you had in order to take the edge off of what you couldn't get. And pretty soon you realize that you don't even know who you are, yeah? and no one knows who you are, yeah? yeah? But if you start working on the spirit, all of a sudden all those maladies you were convinced you had and spent so much time convincing others you had kind of went away, didn't they? Okay. Yeah. So it says, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. That's what they did. What do you all do normally in dealing with resentment? <laughs> or wherever, right? It may not be on a bar stool, but do you relate to Sean's plan? There's AA's plan, and then there's Sean's plan, or Joe's plan, or Tyler's plan, right? We, and we've got, we've got to surrender our plan if we hope to get well, yeah? Because Joe's Anonymous was a lonely place. <laughs> so, so we listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We ask ourselves why we were angry. Self, why are you angry? In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened, so we were sore. We were burned up. Any of you had a similar experience? When you started writing down your inventory, and if you haven't written down an inventory, we're trying to get an ideal for our future relationships. Not just sex, all human relationships with people, institutions, principles. Have you ever noticed how you could get real angry at somebody that was probably just doing their job screening someone like you out? And So anyway, it says, on our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, or our personal or sex relations, which have been interfered with? So now I'm going to get down to the, the root of it. What's troubling me, really? Is it really your behavior? What's going on within me that's causing me to believe that you're, you're somehow empowered to harm me? You understand ambitions when they're talking about ambitions. Most people get the others. Ambitions are hopes for a future outcome. So if I think you're stealing my future, you may not, that may not be your intent, but I'm not going to like you, and I'm not going to celebrate in your wins. Any of you ever get yourself in such a lonely place you couldn't celebrate anyone else's wins? And yeah, so we want to look at that stuff. Just, there's another book they took a lot of this stuff from, the book of James, they said, what brings about the quarrels among us is it not the desires that rage within us? Old wisdom. Don't get freaked out because I'm quoting scripture. It's just that's how they wrote this. But we need to know that it's the desires within me that are causing my conflict with you, not your behavior. Does that make sense? Okay, so that, I'm going to jump to the bottom of the page. It said, we went back through our lives, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. Why? Yeah, life depends on it. We've got to get back and find what our part is in whatever we're doing, yes. And, and this is the story of my life. So nothing else matters than trying to get the facts straight, yeah? Okay. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. Why do we do that? To get a level of understanding and acceptance. Any of you go through your inventory process and 
look at the page and a little surprised at what you discovered about yourself? Isn't that weird? That's our story on that page. And then we're looking. So the first thing apparent was the world and its people were often quite wrong. You gotta take that into consideration, folks. I suffered harms that I had no part in. I'd venture to say everyone in this room suffered harms they had no part in. And then there were things that I inflicted on others that they had no part in. And there were people that were completely innocent that the harms I inflicted they, didn't, they were once removed, children, for instance, when I inflicted harms on their mothers. Anyone know what I'm talking about? So I'm really not in a position to judge when I look at that. So I look back to that and go, well, these things that happened to me, why did I revisit that on somebody else? I need to know that about me, don't I? because I know how it felt to go through it. I never intentionally wanted that much pain on somebody else, but they had to have had that much pain, didn't they? So, it says to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. You ever get stuck in that loop? Yeah, yeah sure, I did that, but fuck them. <laughs> because it's easier to redirect and point outward than it is to own who I've been. Okay, so the usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. You notice how once you're in that loop, it's really hard to get targeted in the right direction? What's my part? What's my part? This thought's not serving me. That's a really difficult discipline when we're out there running and gunning, huh? All right, so sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. How many of you realized that your life had turned into a mess and you just were mad at you? Yeah, there should be a lot more hands. I've taken enough people through the steps. I, I'm just mad at me. Okay, but it, was your admission of powerlessness honest or not? Because if indeed you believed yourself powerless, then what else could you have done? Nothing. It's not an excuse, but it is a, an honest admission what I did was not right, but I was incapable on my own of doing anything different. Now the only thing I can do is perhaps make it right to your satisfaction, but that will require a power greater than me. So I better access power, yes? yes. Starting to make sense why the earnestness, the honesty, we're digging deep because I need to dig deep. I need to know. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. And as in war, the victor only seemed to win our moments of triumph were short-lived. It's plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Remember, they wrote this book in past tense at this phase. So if you haven't been through the process and you haven't started helping others, you may not yet conclude that a world that, a life that includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness because you may, if you're like me coming in, the only tool I had was my hatred and desire for vengeance. That's all I had. I don't know if any of you relate to me. So it was not safe to lay down the one weapon I had until I was empowered with better tools. Does that make sense? Yep. 
So as I look back and I've tried to employ my experience and the grace I got to get through it and help others, I softened. And I realized that all of that prepared me to be uniquely useful to people a lot like me. Kind of level the playing field, get, just get really transparent with you. And, and then it's safe to be transparent with me and maybe we can walk on out of here together, right? Okay. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? So they're telling me what my part is in all of that. Did you catch it? Yeah. I permitted it. I didn't know I permitted it. So powerlessness is not an excuse. It's an admission of the deep delusion from which I came, isn't it? Any of you guys Eagles fans? Anyone old enough to be an Eagles fan? Any? They sang a song once upon a time. So oftentimes it happens we live our life in chains and we never even know we hold the key. You know what the key is? The truth. So anyway, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it's fatal. Did you know that once I've made this decision, it is only because I know my only hope is the growth and maintenance of a spiritual experience? Because right. sometimes if you've just gone to our fellowships, you think your hope is that you'll just not pick up. I'm not trying to make light. What is the goal of 12-step recovery? To awaken spiritually. So my only hope is the growth and maintenance of this spiritual experience because without the spirit, I can't live in this world of action-reaction unanesthetized. I've proven it. Does that make sense? So it says, we found that it's fatal for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again with us to drink is to die. Some people take issue with that when I take them through the steps. Any of you have a problem with that? For the likes of me to drink is to die. How many of you just completely died in every way but physically out there in your addiction? Yeah, so it's not hard to believe for those of us who really know, is it? So it says, if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. How many of you find that a ridiculous concept? <laughs> Listen, some of us that have anger stuff, anxiety stuff, remember what the doctor said, if, if we don't find ease and comfort, we're restless, irritable, and discontented. That was, and that was my experience, too. And, and so... To be free of anger, I've learned, is a, is a product of growing in consciousness of the power within me. It's often stronger when I'm serving, working with somebody else. Yeah? So the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. What are they talking about, grouch and brainstorm? Those are old English words, and so we read them, and don't, we think we know what they mean. Grouch is just what it sounds like. How are you today? Okay, for a Monday. <laughs> All right? There's one coming around every seven days. You might want to get over it. <laughs> and brainstorm could be two things. It could be a sudden fit of rage, which many of us relate to, or it could be 
launching out on a course of vigorous action without due consideration. Yeah. You ever hear a really good idea and just launch out without considering all the... So those things are not for us if we're these people. So it says that they may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics these things are poison. It's really clear that you understand what your condition is, because you're going to see a lot of humans doing it, and it's a dubious luxury. It probably doesn't do them any more good than it does me, but when I get out on that deal, I don't come back. So we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. So what's the key to the future? Yeah, the truth about me, right? We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. What'd they tell us the insanity of this addiction was? A lack of perspective, the inability to think clearly. So if I start seeing it from another person's perspective, and then I start seeing it from more and more people's perspective, my world gets bigger, and I'm not so isolated. The opposite of addiction is not abstinence, it's connection. I gotta be part of something. Does that make sense? Like all of you in here are part of something, part of something big. So we began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. How could we escape? So that would be the question, wouldn't it? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? Are you with them? Resentments got to be mastered. How? Okay. We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. So what did they tell you the first inclination was? Same thing I always did. I tried to deny it was a thing. That's what they're telling me. Any of you ever do that? I'm okay now. I'm not, I'm, I don't have that resentment. Have <laughs> you ever tried that? How many of you have had that thing and it's so deep-seated you think you're over it and then you see something that reminds you of it or actually see that person and just go right off? Yeah. How many of you can think of someone right now that you're angry at? Are they in the room? <laughs> if they are in the room, that's a whole different thing. But if they're not in the room, you brought them in here. Wow. See what I'm trying to tell you? Who's feeling that? That's what, that's what it feels like to be convicted. right? So now there's work to do, because they ain't here. But I brought them in here. They are here right now causing this disturbance in me. So they didn't cause the disturbance in me. I'm tethered to an idea. Yeah. Okay, so this was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. That's the key to freedom. Right? What's their spiritual sickness manifest as? Anyone relate to him? (laughs) So it says, though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We ask God to help. Are you that mesmerized or is it a sleepy day? We ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Guys, when I ask God to help me show you, I'm asking that power into me to manifest more powerfully than my thoughts or emotions in that moment. It's real. And it empowers me, even though I'm thinking like me, it empowers me to act more like him. 
Not all the time, because I'm pretty freaking human. But when I'm walking consciously, I'll think one way and I'll act better than I think. Any of you know what I'm talking about? And that's regardless of your theology, you'll learn we're talking about a reality within. Okay, so when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry, thy will be done. So I'm asking for power, I'm asking to put out a hand of friendship, yes, instead of what I'm thinking at. So it says we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. How'd they learn that? Yeah, they weren't, they weren't practicing their disciplines and they got around people a lot like us and those people were behaving a lot like we do and they got mad at them instead of trying to love them a little bit. Pretty easy to do, isn't it? We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Would you like to live in a world where you could take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one? That would be a much nicer place for me to live in, in this head. So I hold that out as an ideal. I have not achieved that yet. In fact, I don't believe that I will ever achieve it, but I do believe he can achieve it in me if I'll seek that power. Does that make sense? Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others have done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. They used an interesting word there, resolutely. How many of you have gone through a four-step inventory, sat down to do a fifth step? When they said resolutely, they meant it, huh? Because it was a lot easier to focus on what they did and what they said and their part. But if I leave it there, I can't ever be free. I got to find my part, even if my part is simply my unforgiveness. Does that make sense? So where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Notice how they said that again. Resolutely, put them out of our mind. This isn't their inventory, this is my inventory. Okay. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Notice the order they did that. It's very intentional. Some people kind of make this up and you can, you can do it any way you want to because it's really your act of faith to try and seek anyway. But, but this, this is a really good way to grow consciously is to write it down, look at what you've discovered about yourself, and own it. Because if you don't make friends with that bad you, you're never going to love the good you. Because it's all you. And it's all me. Does that make sense? They said if, you, if your branches are going to grow all the way to heaven, your roots got to go all the way to hell. Say it again. If your branches are going to grow all the way to heaven, your roots got to reach all the way to hell. And most of us in this room got the hell part down. <laughs> all right, so notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties of Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. 
This short word somehow touches every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. Notice how much emphasis they put on fears. A lot of times we, we do not spend the time in recovery to do an accurate or an adequate fears assessment. And a lot of us don't think we're fearful, especially if we're ragers or violent. We don't realize that all that fear, all that rage, all that anger is just manifestations of my fear. Yes? So you need to, and you can have fear without any resentment and connection with it. They're going to talk to us about that. So it says, it set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. How many of you have had an opportunity and then ended up either from procrastination or just never wanting to get started, just didn't start, so you never got the blessing that was right there for you. So you let, you let that fear just steal that from you. See what I'm saying? That's why they say that. And we don't want that to keep happening, so we might want to look at what those fears are that drive us and so we can ask for a little help in overcoming. Yeah? We're going to have to confront that. So it said, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment in connection with them. How many of you have had problems with depression. Okay, that's anger without enthusiasm. <laughs> Not trying to make light, I'm trying to say we just lay there stuck in it and can't even, I mean the action would help us move past it or grow through it, but we are unable, unable to take any action whatsoever, yes? So we want to start taking a look at those things that don't have that, and you want to look at the other areas. Where's my drinkers? Any drinkers here? I was a drinker who would go to the bar night after night. I would close it. <coughs> Terrible bars. Me and the bartender, the only ones there, sick as a dog. I'd go outside and puke it a couple times, come back. I wouldn't want to leave because if I left, something might happen and I'd miss it. Any of you ever had a similar experience? Happens at the trap house, too. You guys stayed there weeks, man. <laughs> You started telling people it's your address. Okay, so we ask ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Have I tried something before and it didn't work and now I'm not going to try that again? That ever happened to you? How many of you tried something before and it went okay and then you tried a little further and then it fell and oh, it didn't work? So it was self-reliance that failed me. I didn't fail. It was my false idea of the power of self to persevere through difficulty. Does that make sense? So it says self-reliance was good as far as it went. You're going to need it. You start serving God, you're going to need self-reliance. But it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence. Any of you here once had great self-confidence? But it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. And when it made us cocky, it was worse. Any of you relate to that? Sometimes I would be cocky because I was so afraid. I didn't want you to find out how afraid of how inadequate I believed myself to be. Perhaps there's a better way. We think so. 
For we're now on a different basis, the basis of entrusting and relying upon God. Now catch this, guys. You've got to understand they're not talking theologies. They're talking about power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing in. That well within me that is now illuminating my steps and informing my course. Does that make sense? In a tangible way. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. For those of you that have prejudice every time we say that word, the reason we say interchange it with power, of course we trust infinite power rather than our finite selves. Yes? Logically, we would do that. We're in the world to play the role he assigns. That's a really profound statement. How many of you would have to admit at times it feels like you've been assigned rather a shitty job? That's part of the walk, though, isn't it? So that we're asking the wrong question when we ask, why me? Why not? Why not? Who is better prepared to play the role that is your life than you? And I'll tell you, everyone within the sound of my voice right now, you are perfectly prepared for the role you have to come. And you don't have to fear about past when self-reliance failed you because you've been made new and whatever was is not. Amen. Does that make sense? So it said, just to the extent we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? How many of you have found yourself in confrontational spaces after you started in this manner of living and you were not confrontational? You still had on high alert. You, you still sized everyone up for what it was going to be like to fight them, but you didn't fight them. That's what it is tangibly in this realm to match calamity with serenity. You see how we're talking about real power, tangible power? Who's feeling this? People are feeling this. That's the power we call God. That is not. We're sharing that experience. Okay, so we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. Why would I? They don't. Why? Because they have tangible demonstrations of a life transformed. How many in here have a tangible demonstration of a life transformed? And if you haven't, ask someone around you. We'll show you evidence of your own transformation. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. So outgrowing fear is a process just like coming to believe is a process. To the precise extent that I come to believe, do I outgrow fear? Does that make sense? How many of you have started to see that? So I'm going to ask the doer to do, and I'm going to ask instruction on what I should be, because I'm a human being, not a human doing. Does that make sense? So now about sex. There's no more noise in the room now. 
Many of us needed an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's easy to get way off the track. Here, we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes, perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. And then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. Any of you relate to either of those, or is it just too much flowery language? Some of you relate to both, like Sean? Where's my meth addicts? Not enough of it, not the right kind, huh? Just call them like I see them. <laughs> Whips and chains, leathers and feathers. <laughs> Nuns and Nazis, whatever. Right? I like the sound of music. What? They think we do not have enough of it or it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. How many of you have been that person? How many of you have been both? Come out of a bad situation and you're like, procreation only. <laughs> One school would allow man no flavor for his fare, the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. The instruction follows. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. Why? We all have problems. We're in no position to judge. We're not here to judge. We're here to gently guide, gently rebuke, try and help them get where they're trying to get. What usually happens when we get angry about someone else's sex conduct? They're interfering with my ambitions. <laughs> I mean, if it... If it applies, like Chap says, just say, ouch. <laughs> he, he asked for amens. I don't do that from up here, but I, if you guys are relating to me, you may want to just yell an ouch out <laughs> if it landed. Okay, so we all have sex problems. That's why. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? It's not about whether we have them or we don't have them. What can we do about them? Even if it's in our thought life, it can be very destabilizing. Yes? Okay. So we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Guys, it's not enough to check a box here. I've seen the forms. It's great that you're making the effort. But you need to know how. Not that you were. If you're human, you were one of those things or all of those things. At some point in your relationships, or you wouldn't have been in a kerfuffle. Yeah? Any of you ever had relationship kerfuffles? It's a cuter word than what we normally would ascribe to it. Right? So whom had we hurt? Yeah, often a whole lot more than, number one, we probably didn't intend to hurt anyone in many instances, did we? But we found out we, we hurt multiples because there are more, multiple people affected. Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? It's not enough to know that you did, you need to know how, right? 
What in my actions? What in my thoughts? What in my words? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? Why do they think they go all the way there? Yeah, and, and the fact is, if I know what was the right thing to do, then I ain't all bad. Simply because I was operating in delusion, I've got an amends to make. It's not an excuse, but it is an explanation for why I behave so radically different than how I wanted to behave. And I need to know that, because if I don't give myself permission to heal, it ain't going to work. I'm not the healer, but I've got to receive the healing. Yes? Okay, so in this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. How many of you would like a future sex life? I counted about 10 hands, so I know the rest of you are lying. Everybody wants a future sex life, especially a safe and sound ideal for a future. Yes? So... And it isn't just about sex. We get lost track over the years because of the brevity of the book. It's about all my relationships with people, institutions, and principles. I suffer because of my attitudes and ideas. And if I don't get a sane, sound ideal for all those interactions, I'm going to continue to suffer and cause suffering. So we, suggest, we subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We're not always the best judge of that, are we? But the power in us tells us, doesn't it? How many of you knew what you wanted to do, ask everyone you could think of for guidance, weren't getting the answer you wanted, <laughs> ran it past that power within, and then realized that that was probably not a good idea, even if you'd already made up your mind you are going through with it? And did you prove yourself right? Yeah. Well, then you grew. That's how much grace we get in this plane, guys. Yeah. We know what we're doing. We know we shouldn't be doing it. We go ahead and do it. And the remorse is more of a burden than I want to carry. And so eventually I start seeking to behave better. Yes? Yeah. And if we don't, they're going to talk to us about that. <laughs> we ask God to mold our ideas and help us live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given, therefore, therefore good, neither to be light, used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. So it's about getting balance in how I respond to the world and how I interact with the world, yes? Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to go toward it. Guys, they've told us the program is suggestive, so when they tell you we must be willing to grow toward it, they don't mean must like thou shalt. They mean I must be or I wouldn't have gone to all this trouble to open all this trauma. If I don't want to outgrow this trauma, then I must be willing to grow toward this spiritual ideal so I don't create new trauma and so I can help other people escape theirs. Because that's the only way I can make sense of all the way I live my life up until this manner of living gets got started. Does that make sense? We must be willing to make amends where we've done harm. Same re reason for the must. It's not a thou shalt. I must be willing to do it because that is spiritual exercise. Take captive the ego. Submit every thought inwardly. 
own who I've been in the flesh and empower the spirit man. Does that make sense? And if I'm talking a foreign language, don't freak out. I'm just talking to who's ever. There is a spirit within you that empowers you to be better than you sometimes want to be. And in fact, wants more for you than you ever dreamed for yourself. And if you don't believe me, how many of you came here from prison? How many of you, when you went in, this place didn't exist? How many of you figured out this is a better landing than a lot of the ones you had to land in before? So God started planning that for you a long time ago. And if you don't believe God did that, man, you, you're not paying attention to who I was. Okay. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. So let's not get caught up. I mean, sex is often preeminent as an issue, but all other human problems that I'm creating in my mind, I need to start getting ideals for how to outgrow them and see what drives them. Does that make sense? In meditation, we ask God what we should, what we should do about each specific matter. So. Notice how they're combining the idea of meditation with the prayer and the taking ownership of who I've been. So I'm in expectation now of receiving answers already by here. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Like we'll think we don't know better, but we'll find we do know better. And it isn't a matter of condemnation, it's a matter of allowing myself to heal. The right answer will come if we want it. That's an interesting promise. What if we don't want it? Or try and improve upon it. Anyone relate to Tyler? Oh, you haven't fully considered all the ramifications of your solution. Let me, here's the way I see. The finite trying to convince the infinite. Okay. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with other persons is often desirable. Notice how they worded that. It's often desirable. How many of you have gone opinion shopping until you got the one you wanted? So be careful because now you're supposed to learn, start to learn to improve this consciousness of a little spiritual gift called self-control. So you gotta start, you gotta start strengthening that gift, don't you? Okay. So it says it's often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. So if I'm out opinion shopping and I'm starting to not feel like I'm getting all the straight thing, I'm still gonna have to go inward to check me. And you know why I always got to go inward to check me? How many of you had a sincere desire to stop your active addiction when you were in an active addiction and could manifest no outward action to show it? So if I don't go find that power, because that power stopped me, I guarantee you people say, well, I just stopped. Not me, I don't quit nothing. <laughs> I was snatched. <laughs> Yeah, no, I did. I got struck sober. And then I found myself 
in full delirium tremens wandering around trying to do AA work. Because I knew whatever had happened for me was better than anything I'd been doing to me for the last 10 years. So um, anyway, so we realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose, and we avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble, question mark. Anytime they put a question mark in this book, if you're new to this study, they want you to go inward, because eyesight without insight is spiritual blindness. How many of you are afraid that you won't do it perfect because so you're just not going to do it? Yeah, I felt some of you. Who, who felt that? Okay, so you're not, you're not that same person. You're new now. By this time in your encounter, you're new now. So whatever happened in the past is not what's destined to happen now. But I can assure you, in your spiritual walk, you will fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. But that is no reason to quit. Do not give up on you. We won't give up on you. Does that make sense? So it says, does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so. But this is only a half-truth. Depends on us and our motives. Know why we got a higher consciousness step? When wrong, when promptly admitted because we know we're going to be wrong. It doesn't say if wrong, it said when wrong. But I now have new tools, right? It seems weird, I know, when I'm in steps 10 and 11, when we're in here, but that's why they call this chapter how it works. They're describing the whole process, and then they're going to get into detail and into action what the disciplines look like after you've learned the practices. Does that make sense? So... If we're sorry for what we've done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we'll be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. If we're not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to drink. We're not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. So this is what they said, and this is the book of the first 100 and their experience with the first several thousand who recovered. So they have some knowledge. Does that make sense? For people who come here and they're bothered by the idea that I've got to ask a God I don't believe in to forgive me. Remember, we're talking about power, sensory power. We're not asking you to know everything about theology at this point. But forgiveness is a divine act. I have to access the divine in me to rearrange that idea in my mind or it's not gone. It's either got to be completely removed or it's got to be repurposed. Does that make sense? So it says, to sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal. What do they mean earnestly pray? Be honest with yourself. God doesn't care about prayers you don't care about. If you really don't want to keep behaving that way, ask for power to not behave that way. They're going to give you some tools to employ to help you get out of the thought loop. Does it make sense? They're going to say, pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for strength to do the right thing. I'm asking earnestly for all of those things. And then it says, if sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. I mean, you guys ever met people who really get this and all of a sudden all they seem to be doing is going and taking other people through the steps? It's the only way we survive. If you, if you come up, tore up like some of us did, and you're not 
constantly serving. Sean used to come by my office down at the state and I'd have a whole line of shopping carts from the homeless population parked outside my office. And I'd have a conference table full of people experiencing homelessness in there. You know why? Because me helping them made sense of the life I'd been living. It, it was inexplicable to the director of the agency. <laughs> they got to where they just said, oh, it's just Joe with all his friends. <laughs> we just got another nicer place to house you now, friends. <laughs> We think of their needs and work for them. It, this takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. Guys, if you understand what it means to come out of myself, when I'm really focused on what you need and how I might help meet your need, whatever it is I had going on is gone. Yeah. And anything I do to meet your need had to flow through me, so my need got met. I could clearly see your problem when I couldn't see mine. But when I offered a solution to you, guess who got healed? If we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. Any of you do a personal inventory and find out it was lengthy? We have listed and analyzed our resentments. And we've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. Notice how they're talking about beginnings. This is a manner of living. It's not a one and done. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness, another starting point, yes? We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We've listed the people we've hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. What did for us? Yeah, guys, all we're trying to do this whole thing is to get you to just activate that faith within you. You see it in here every day. You guys that are here, you come in shell-shocked and not know what in the hell are these people? This is a cult? What happened? <laughs> and pretty soon you know the welcome home is legit and everyone genuinely cares about you and they want to help you. And the next thing I see is some pretty serious people running out to stick their hand out to the new guy walking in and, and it's magical. We hope that you're convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you've made a good beginning. That being so, you've swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. That's it. Next week we'll look at 5, 6, and 7. Thank you very much.